Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we will bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories from patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you, and we want you to know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Mike Bersotti, neonatologist and chief medical officer at Providence Sacred Heart Children's Hospital in Spokane, Washington. Today, we're talking about childhood cancer from a provider's perspective. Remember, everyone, most of our questions will come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started today by welcoming our expert, Dr. Bersati. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let me start you off with a really simple one. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with Providence. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, so I am the chief um, administrative officer for Children's Hospital here in Spokane. It's a role that I get to look at all of pediatrics in general and sort of move forward the cause of pediatrics. And one of the things we're interested in is not really looking at just the hospital, but sort of looking to where patients, children, interact with the healthcare and it is continuum. My background is um, I am a physician um, trained in neonatology, so I took care of preterm babies for years and years. Um, but more recently now, I'm doing administrative medicine, or you know, I've gone to the dark side, I guess. <laughs> and then I have a new role, uh, which also continues to look at, at the general care of children. I am the newly elected uh, president for the Washington chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. That's amazing. And how long is that term? It's a two-year term. Okay, that's exciting. Well, we are here today at Sacred Heart Children's Hospital, um, which is beautiful and absolutely lovely. Thank you. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the hospital and the different services that are provided? Yeah, so we are the Children's Hospital for Eastern Washington. We um, really pride ourselves on not just being, though we are Spokane's Children's Hospital, no doubt, and, and hugely supported by Spokane. We see ourselves as really Eastern Washington's um, Children's Hospital and look at to offer great care for children for all of Eastern Washington. We see our role as one offering great care, especially for subspecialties, for really the the nuance of medicine and really the high level care, but also with an eye on preventative medicine. So can we prevent something from happening so they don't have to interact with us at all is actually the big win here. Right, right, right? absolutely. And I know that you guys win a lot of awards. You're very well recognized in, in, in this area. But I think you mentioned, you know, you say Eastern Washington, but you guys actually have patients coming from outside of the state as well, don't you? Absolutely. So um, we have good relationships with the Panhandle in Idaho and, and take care of their what we call level four, their sickest patients, pediatric patients. We take care of them and um, in Western Montana as well. Awesome. Well, you mentioned subspecialties, and, and one of the things that we're talking about in, in this show is cancer, right? Um, which is always a hard conversation, but especially a hard conversation with children, right? Absolutely. Um, talk to me a little bit about the, the cancer care that this service that, that this hospital provides. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important about the care that you give to children who have chronic illnesses, and cancer, of course, would be a chronic illness, is really looking at um, whole care or integrated care. 
it's not just that the people the, the children with cancer have cancer issues and that's the sum total of what's going on but cancer itself can affect other organs and other problems and create other problems that being said we want to be sure that the physicians the oncologists the doctors who are really the primary caretakers of these patients are integrated and working with other subspecialists to be sure that the family gets seamless care but every aspect of that child's care gets dealt with and that's not just medical that's also social that's also child life that's other parts of maintaining a normal life for the child behavioral health too right? absolutely and is that is that what you guys mean when you talk about kind of a, a whole person care or a, a full centered care absolutely absolutely the 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 dictum is the, the child is the center of, of the care and everything comes to the child as opposed to the child having to run around and or the family go to each different place and try to put this care together we try to put the family and the child at the center of that wheel and everything comes to them you said just a second ago, you mentioned, I think, child life. What, what does that mean for people who are listening who don't know? Yeah, child life is a phenomenal resource. Um, some people like to talk about them being play therapy. And I like to envision it that way, though it really minimizes the scope of what they do. But start there. There are the, the people that come in and really try to make sure that a child's life is a child's life. And so they'll come in and try to have interactive things with the child to make life more normal for them they will intervene and work with trying to minimize pain mm -hmm. distract during procedures they are they're sort of the conduit to say we are paying attention to you the child as a child and whatever we can do to make that work that's what we're here for amazing i've i've seen some of it in action from I've, I've seen actual music artists come through and and do performances i've seen some of the the therapy dogs come through but i even remember being here many years ago during halloween and they were getting the kids costumes so that they, they could trick-or-treat within the hospital and that's why i i say that my home play therapist to me that's a fun way to describe it but it really minimizes the scope of what they do they truly look at the child and the child's life and they they interact with that child and bring stuff into the, into play, um, using the word play, but in, into the into the care that normalizes the experience, that really addresses the specific needs of that child as a child, to be sure that they are part of the care, and that it's a successful interaction. It's amazing. Well, let's talk a little bit about the medical side of cancer care. What what does it take, or what qualities would we look for to find a great pediatric oncologist? Yeah. So. Remember that my background is neonatology. I'm not a pediatric oncologist. But I got to tell you, if my daughter had, um, had a, um, a, some sort of cancer, I think what I would want from an oncologist is, one, it's a position that really requires them to be super smart on top of things. The field is changing. Mm -hmm. um, genetics are playing a bigger and bigger part of that. So they need to be very competent and on top of their game. Um, on the other side, they're sort of the people that keep the set the pace. They need to be pretty in tune with the child. They need to keep a positive attitude in times that sometimes it's less easy to do that. Sure. They need to understand. They just have to have great ability to read the room and know break points and when to back away. Um, they need people that are compassionate and really understand when they're giving bad news, the impact of that news. Um, so they can't just be a doctor. They right. really have to be 
there for the family and the child. And that's what I would look for in an oncologist, someone who not only is smart, but really has that bedside compassion and that knowledge. Absolutely. Well, and I would imagine, too, that it's slightly harder. I mean, I've had cancer. My father's had cancer. But we're adults, right? And so we understand it. We're very pragmatic. I mean, sure, there's an emotion to it. But I imagine that, one, when the patient is a child, that's a harder conversation to have. But you're actually having it with the parents who have that emotional love connection. I mean, you do anything for your kid, right? So I do imagine that those conversations are probably very challenging. Absolutely. So I think... People that choose pediatrics in general as a, um, as a profession understand that when they talk about the patient, there's the primary patient, which is the pediatric, is the child, but the family is part of the, is the care, and they're part of the decision maker, and, and it's important that we keep them updated. And that's true in my field for neonatology, and it's equally true for oncology. I think what I've heard about the doctors here is that it, it's very much that they take into consideration the entire family, um, but that they're always so compassionate about it. And I think that many times what you find, especially in cancer care, is very pragmatic, right? This is it. This is how we're going to address it. We're going to tackle it. But I think what I've heard about the doctors here is that they are very much about how do we support you and your emotions as well as the, the cancer care itself. Have you, do you hear that a lot? Absolutely. I think what you get here, and I, you probably get this with nearly all pediatric oncology patients, but the docs establish a relationship over time with the child and the family. And it's not, it's not a clinical relationship. It's a true relationship. They really know each other. It's one of those fields in medicine that really spans over time. It's not, you come in for the week and you're in the hospital for a week and we're done. We don't see you again. They will continue to come back. And so over time they establish this relationship and it's a sincerity of that relationship really it's a relationship with the child at the child's level. It's a relationship with the parents at the parent's level. And whether the parent needs to be handheld or the parent's more engineer-minded and just wants the facts, right? right. You have to gauge all that and, and work through that and give them what they need. And I think our docs are really, really good at that. Well, and I imagine you probably have parents like mine where one is very emotion-based and the other is very science-based, right? So you have to handle both. Well, I think that's, that's really true. And, and, and I know we're talking about oncology, but in my field, one of the things when I when I was practicing, I would tell the parents is like, you don't need to be on the same page today. My goal is to get you information and give you time to sort of process yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and I think processing it is very important, but I also think kind of a, a larger support network is important. And I, I have heard that you guys offer a lot of support groups and education resources. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think things are easier when you know you're not alone. Right. I'm, so yeah. I think support groups offer a huge adjunct to medicine. It's not just it makes you feel better. I think it really makes life better and it makes the care better. So for oncology, there are support um, groups that are local and there are support groups that are more national. Because as you can imagine, cancer is not cancer is not cancer. Every cancer is its unique own cancer. Its primaries. It, it has its own prognosis because it's renal or kidney cancer versus liver cancer, let's say. So you can't have a support network for each of those locally. You wouldn't have the numbers to support that. So some of the more rare um, diseases will have more of a national group. But, you know, especially in today's day, using virtual to get together and talk to each other, we have access there. Um, local families really reach out and try to help each other 
um, networking. And so even if the cancers are entirely unrelated, a family will come in that has had a child with cancer and step in and try to support the, the new family, right? You mentioned virtual. Talk to me a little bit about how COVID impacted the way that we, we handle things here. Yeah, that was, it, interestingly, at Sacred Heart, well, interestingly, in general, pediatrics, especially during the first and second wave of COVID, it really wasn't that big of a pediatric disease that got children sick and got them to the hospital. They certainly got sick, and certainly some got sicker than others. Um, And certainly immune compromise, which cancer patients have problems with their immune system, are at higher risk for COVID. So a lot of energy got spent in the prevention of getting the disease, less so in the treating the disease in pediatrics. So certainly we had to do some of that but really in preventing. And so a lot of work was made sure that masking, good hand washing, social distancing, not having the patients come in for a checkup if it could be done virtually so that we would eliminate that exposure. Um, Access, we limited access for the oncology patients. They came in a certain way so that they weren't exposed to the full access of the hospital. So we did things like that to sort of make it... um, well, again, to prevent the spread of, of COVID to that population. But still allowing their parent in, which I think is important because I, I, I actually heard a couple of media places of children's hospitals on the East Coast where they were saying no parents could come in. And I just thought how horrible that would be for you as a family. I'm not sure how you could offer care if you didn't have the parents there. So, mm-hmm. and, 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 and all due respect to the East Coast, and they did a phenomenal job in design. It's just... Can you imagine being a three-year-old and walking into a can your mom's not with you? Mm-hmm. So we did limit. You couldn't have four siblings and, right, and the right. grandparents. and But to have one parent with you, we thought was critical to the care. I remember being in my 30s, I think, the first time I found out I had cancer, and I wanted my mom with me. So even if I were 17, I'd want my mom with Absolutely. me, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What it what is the parent's role in the child's treatment here? Because I imagine you know our clinicians are the experts, but I would imagine parents have thoughts, questions. Like, is is it kind of a a team approach with the doctors and the parents? Absolutely. So I think there are parts of medicine that are that are sort of absolute, and, and the science backs it up strongly. And you just everyone's opinion is less important. You just got to do it right. But there are parts that are more nuanced, and parts that you really need people to understand the decisions are being made and why they're being made and why we're going down one path and not another path. And so having the parents truly understand what's going on and being part of that decision-making process is critical. Absolutely. Well, this conversation is fascinating, but we do have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll continue the conversation about childhood cancer. Great. I see you calling I didn't want to leave you like that It's five in the morning Yeah, yeah A hundred on the dash Cause my wheels are rolling And taking my foot off the gas And it only took me one night
back with our guest, Dr. Mike Bersodi, neonatologist and chief medical officer, and we are discussing children's cancer here in Spokane. Um, I wanted to ask you the business side, right? Because you do you do run the business side of it. What is the business side of, of a children's hospital in cancer care? I assume that it's an expensive endeavor, and I know that there's philanthropy, there's fundraising. Talk to me a little bit about how, how the cancer side works. Yeah, interesting question. I think when you talk medicine and you talk money at the same time, it feels dirty. It feels like, eh, let's not talk about that. Right. But the reality of it is what we do costs money. And we have to be very cognizant of how we spend that money so that the next patient that comes through, we can take care of that patient as well. So it's an important point, though. We tend not to talk a lot about it. Um, childhood cancer is, is fairly well compensated. Um, so... It's not, there are parts of medicine that you don't make money on. In children's cancer, we at least break even or make money. Um, but keeping up, and there's a lot of new stuff that comes out, and that is the hard part, is getting the funding to keep on the cutting edge and moving forward and always being ready for the next thing. And so when we talk about funding for pediatric oncology, we look at it from what the hospital can contribute, what, what payments contribute, but then we also use a lot of um, foundation dollars. So monies from people that are just really well-intentioned and give money to the hospital uh, because they think what we do is helpful and that's how they want their money spent. There's a fair number of people that give money for pediatric oncology, and those dollars are critical and vital and just part of what we do and help us stay on top of things. And so when the pediatric oncologists say, we need a new X, mm-hmm. we can use some foundation dollars to help fund that and keeps us moving forward. Interestingly, at Sacred Heart, they also help fund some uh, a child life position. Mm-hmm. So understanding how important that role is, um, they help expand the number of people we have available for that so that every kid gets get exposed to it. So they fund not only new medical devices, but they actually fund some of the wraparound care to be sure that our patients have a great experience. I've seen too, some of the donors have um, like the little wagons that kids run around in. I've seen, um, I've seen a lot of different things with people's names on it. I think it'd be kind of fun. I mean, I I probably would donate to research because I do think it's important, but how fun would it to be to say, I want to give money so that kids can have video games or whatever? Yeah, it sounds unimportant because it does not sound medical. 
But really, if yeah. a kid's getting chemotherapy and he's completely involved in watching some movie, not really realizing he's getting chemotherapy, that's a that's a win. That's a huge win. Hundred percent. Right? I was at the children's hospital in Alaska for Providence, um, and there was a kid who was actually exactly that, and he just was kind of checked out. And I remember they brought in a professional gamer to play video games with no, him fun. while he was doing yeah, it, nice. and they were they were done, and they were like, "We're not even going to tell him he's done. We're just going to keep going." And it was so amazing because he went from this kind of sad, dejected feeling like, "Here we go again," to not even knowing what was happening. Yeah. See, it's stuff like that. It's. It, it's stuff like that that makes it little special touches. Yeah. One of the things that the foundation does, um, which people donate and, and, and because of the event, but there are window washers that yes. work, that clean the windows at, at here. And once a year, they dress up as superheroes and they come down the windows and wash the windows in the children's hospital. And it's a huge event, and the kids just love it. And actually, the staff does too, but, you know, less oh, important. <laughs> I, I stalk the social channels to watch that every yeah. year. I'm like, look at Spider-Man. He's coming down yeah. the window. So, and then, and then you hear stories about their lives and why they yeah. do it. And it's just a very cool thing. That is very neat. I, I really like it. You know, I mentioned research. Um, talk to me a little bit about the significance of research when it comes to cancer care. Yeah, cancer care is all about research. So... The way I see this, and you'll probably get a better answer from an oncologist, right? But the way I see this is that really chemotherapy is poison. The point of chemotherapy is to kill the bad cells and hopefully not kill the good cells right. at the same time, right? Um, the more specific we can get with the quote-unquote poison to attack really the cell that you want to attack and not the others, that's ongoing research, and that's what we need to do. Um and in all fairness, I believe, and, and you'll get the oncologists to speak about this, chemotherapy is switching to um, immunotherapies, mm -hmm. and so which is much more specific and less invasive. That's all research, right. but it's giving us better and better outcomes. And so what 20 years ago may have been a death sentence and a very poor prognosis, now, because of research, is much more survivable, and those kids are going on to lead um, productive life. So research is everything. It is, right? Well, you know, we are at a children's hospital and we are talking about children's cancer, but at what point do you transition? If I'm 17, do I come to a children's hospital? Do I go to an adult hospital? This is a great question. This is, I mean, I'll answer it specifically for oncology at Sacred Heart, but this is not a question that's limited to that discussion. I'll just true, tell you that right true, now. Yeah. Um, typically, by definition, the children's hospital ages out at age 18. Mm -hmm. Um, oncology, pediatric oncology, actually unofficially keeps all their kids to 21 and some past that. Um, we have the same issue with families who have, um, especially children with developmental problems mm -hmm. and, and, and disabilities and where, where they feel more comfortable getting their care. Um, but 18 tends to be the hard line where you age out and then we break the rules occasionally, <laughs> even to the point where we we created a program called Growing Up Providence that really looks at these oh. kids and as we transition them, as they get to be adolescents and we begin the process of transitioning them to adult medicine, it doesn't happen on their 17th year and 364 days. Right. We actually start at age 13, 14 and begin that process of getting them to understand that um, to, so that by the time they're 18, they're sort of ready to be moved on to the adult side. It's amazing. So that process of transitioning, 
kind of into this adult space, I, I imagine, I, I like what you say, that it kind of goes over time. What happens, though, if I am 17 when I get a diagnosis? Will I normally go to a children's hospital? Will I go to an adult, or is it really case by case? I think here you'll probably come to the, the children's hospital. I think that's where you'll start. It is, though, case by case. If you're a 17-year-old who really does not want to hang out with kids and would rather be treated on the adult side, there is that opportunity. Um, there's nothing magical about 17, 18, 19. It's society chose 18 is, is the right. age for maturity, right? From a physiologic standpoint, 18 is not the year you become a mature adult. Your body changes. Right. So there are definitely fully competent physicians on the adult side to take care of 16-year-olds because the body's mature. And so sure. the worries that they would have would be exactly the same. But in my mind, pediatrics is set up differently than adult medicine and we are just better at the wraparound services and being there for every stage of this and we all know a 16 year old is a fairly mature body and acts mature sometimes but sometimes does not act mature um, and that's <laughs> normal that's what that that's, that's why you're 16 um, and I think in the end they do appreciate the support there, having their parents there, having sure. other support systems there. So I would guess that 80% to 90% of any 17-year-old would be on the pediatric oncology side. You know, one of the things I think is great, though, and you talked about the window washers, which you know I absolutely love, but I think part of the benefit of being here is not just the expertise that you have in the clinical side of it, but is the, the, the beautiful place, the environment, right? Talk to me a little bit about why this children's hospital is so positive and uplifting, and, and what is it about this place that makes kids feel better about being here? Yeah, I think it's not an accident, right? I mean, it's it's the people who, who go into pediatric medicine, right? You're already selecting for people that already think that way, that think of children differently than adults and really understand that there's a different way to do this, right? Um, you can't a kid's life is really focused on play and interaction and social interaction mm -hmm. and if you take that away from them you're you're holding back their development so everyone understands that they had, not only you have to treat their medical problem you have to let them continue to develop and you have to support that so all that comes together people who want to play with children people who want to interact with children who understand children and then you understand the developmental side you understand their life, when you bring that together and you think about their holistic care or integrated care, and you think about their life as their life, not as a sum of their diagnoses, then it's very natural that you create a system that would be someplace that they would want to be. And so that, I think that's what we tried to do here. We tried to make it a place where I mean, no one chooses to be in the hospital, but, right. but you know, maybe if they weren't paying attention, they would forget they were in the hospital. Right, right. right. This is a Children's Miracle Network hospital as well. What does that mean? Yeah, love Children's Miracle Network. That is a national organization that really works at getting money for children's hospitals. So they help our foundation raise money. And so, for example, um, Ace Hardware is one of the participants with the Children's Miracle Network, and they raise money using Children's Miracle Network support and our foundation support raise money and they have remodeled the entire children's hospital in the last year two oh, years wow. um yeah it was two years ago i forget you know, with COVID, i lost a year everybody you know? lost a year <laughs> yeah. you're good um <laughs> so but but they raise money 
And it's one of the caveats is it has to go to the local children's hospital. Oh, it doesn't go anywhere else. It comes directly to the children's hospital. That's amazing. Um, I, I did read before we actually met um, that you also serve on the March of Dimes. Is it I a don't board? serve on the March of Dimes. The March of Dimes has a, um, a lead sponsor locally every year. Okay. And so I was the lead for last year and the year before. And what does that mean? Is that another form of fundraising for the hospital? Right. So the March of Dimes raises, raises money. It's, it's, it's less money for the hospital, though some of it comes back here. But they really are really vested in research and actually looking at prematurity, um, maternal f- um, baby bonding, and improving all that and doing the research behind all that. So... They do a lot of phenomenal work, um, but they also rely on donations. Nice. Well, I know we're almost out of time. I just have a couple quick questions left for you. Um, and it's one of them is about our caregivers. This is a challenging field to be in, pediatric Absolutely. oncology. How does this organization kind of support the caregivers and make sure that they're staying positive and that they have the resources they need? Yeah, I think that's a great question. A great question specific to oncology, but actually a great question for all caregivers now in the time of COVID, because there's a lot of burnout, there's a lot of stress, a lot of overwork. And I think one of the things we're proud of is we're paying attention, right? Nurses, staff, physicians, we're all one big family. And so we need to be there for each other. And so paying attention to each other, being there for each other, really um, holding each other up, it's... It's that camaraderie, I think, is the most important thing. And I, and I do feel like you guys are making a concerted effort to do it, and I think it's, it's noticeable. As a caregiver in the oh. Providence system, it's noticeable. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are basically out of time, so my last question to you is this. Is there anything you want people to know about the Children's Hospital here in Spokane that we haven't covered? I just want you to know we're here for you. I want you to know that we are actually trying to drop the word hospital because we want to the world to get, we want, uh, we want your experience when you interact with us, that we take care of your child at whatever level or need your child needs. Whether you inter- in, interact with us at the hospital level or at the outpatient level or in radiology, whether it's the emergency room, we're here for you and the care that you need. And we'll be the people that take care of making sure you transition to the right area at the right time. Your job is to show up and we'll take care of you regardless of where you show up. That's amazing. Show up and be there for your child. I love it. Well, thank you, Dr. Persuadi, for joining us on Let's Finish Cancer. We look forward to continuing the conversation on the whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio on our Future of Health station or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter at Facebook and Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, here at Providence, we see the life in you.